Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Utah Republican Party will hold a special state central committee meeting on Saturday to nominate three individuals from among seven attorney general candidates. Governor Herbert is expected to choose the next AG from this group. State Republican Party Chairman James Evans has organized a committee to verify that each candidate meets requirements to serve as AG and does not have any blatant conflicts of interest. The Republicans also held a candidate debate last night among the seven candidates. The Utah Democratic Party says there are major conflicts of interest and ethical questions surrounding the candidates being considered by the Republican Party. Democrats are asking people to submit names of people they want for the next attorney general. And they're joining with Alliance for a Better Utah and Utahns for Ethical Government to call on Governor Herbert to appoint a caretaker, an outsider, as an interim attorney general, as a means of cleaning up the office and restoring public trust. Today, we're going to ask you what you think. Several venues for you to express your opinions, your questions. Uh, email is upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can uh, join us by telephone at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. And you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Later in the program, we'll be talking with uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus, Utah Democratic Party Chairman, Marion Martindale with Alliance for Better Utah, and David Irvine with Utahns for Ethical Government. We begin with James Evans, Chairman of the Utah Republican Party. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, it's This was an interesting, uh, I'm sure you would see it as a service to the public, a debate you had uh, between the seven candidates. seemed like a, a vigorous uh, debate. I'm, I assume you uh, uh, thought it uh, helpful? Yes. It's, uh, well, we had several considerations. One, given the weather, and I just want to give a, a special uh, congrat- uh, well, thank you to uh, the Utah Education Network because they allowed um, the debate to be uh, broadcast through their system so that members of the State Central Committee, which is the governing body of the Utah Republican Party, uh, our members are throughout the state, so it was very difficult to drive up, say, from Uinta County or Wayne County uh, up to Salt Lake to see the, the debate in person. They were able to go to one of the UEN, one of the Utah Education Network site locations, and view the debate and ask questions from those locations within their county. So that was a very... Uh, helpful tool. And that, I guess, was is the central audience for the debate, right? 181 members of that committee would be choosing the three to send the governor. That's correct. And uh, not only that, but it was live stream as well. So we had, um, we had people uh, viewing the debate from 14 states and um, submitting questions. And then Doug Wright, who was the moderator, would, would uh, ask the questions to the candidates. So we had questions from the audience that was there in person throughout the UEN network and also questions that were texted in um, on our text number. So people were able to ask questions from across several different venues. So you had interest from uh, 14 other states? Yes. Interesting. Uh, so I guess this is, you know, it's much in the news and, and so forth. Uh, in your mind, what's, what's the most important job of the next attorney general? Restoring trust? Well, I think the most important job of the attorney general is to do the job of attorney general. So uh, first and foremost, that's you know the most important. And if the next attorney general does the job of attorney general in an effective way, then the trust will be uh, restored and confidence will be rebuilt. Hmm. There was a debate among the seven last night as to 
what kind of uh, AG the the uh, Central Committee should pick and the governor should 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 pick as well. Uh, whether it should be a caretaker position um, and not seek election in uh, next year, or or not, did you come down on one of those sides? Well, you know, as chair as chair of the uh, Utah Republican Party, my focus is in putting together the event so that our our central committee will weigh those issues, and they're taking. Um, I, all of these uh, con- concerns seriously, and they're weighing the pros and cons. For instance, uh, I think I don't know if you listened to the debate or not, but uh, some of the considerations for um, just moving forward with the next AG who may run for re-election would be you would have greater stability because that person will be in office and have a longer-term vision. Um, some of the considerations for a caretaker. AG would be that they don't have to worry about uh, campaigning or raising money while they're in office. They would just focus on the office. And some of the drawbacks of that also, a caretaker AG would be that they would, and within two years, we will be on our fourth attorney general because that caretaker would uh, move on and then someone will be elected in 2014. But also, the length of time it takes to um, the length of time it will take to uh, make changes will be longer than just that 11-month period that that caretaker AG would be in place. And then some of the drawbacks on an, an attorney general who would be running for re-election would be the appearance of having to have a conflict because they're raising money. So all of these uh, pros and cons are being vigorously discussed and debated amongst the members of the uh, Utah Republican Party Central Committee. And with all of that, we'll narrow the field to three nominees, and ultimately the governor would weigh those decisions amongst other considerations that the governor may have as he moves forward to make a decision. So the process is certainly open to continued uh, input, and, um, and I certainly respect you know, everyone who wants to weigh in and insist on their point of view being uh, insist on their party point of view prevailing because they think it's best mm. you've set up a committee to uh, essentially vet these these seven candidates uh, tell me about that yeah to vet their uh, qualifications uh, such as are they in good standing with the uh, Utah Bar Association are they able to practice before the Utah Supreme Court are there any disciplinary issues? Also, we ask the candidates to fill out the uh, financial uh, disclosure form and uh, conflict of interest form so that if there's anything there, it will be viewed then and uh, investigated. Also, residency requirements. All of the requirements to be attorney general uh, are being reviewed by this committee, and, there's a, and I believe they're issuing uh, their report I believe it's supposed to be today, no later than tomorrow. Hmm. Has this whole um, matter, has this weakened trust, do you think, in your party? Well, I'm not sure that, um, to be fair-minded, of course, because um, the uh, outgoing attorney general is a Republican, that that's going to um, be viewed as Republicans. But... I have trust that the voters tend to vote on the candidates that are before them at that time. And what we're doing as a party is um, our whole review process, our selection process that that's 
in accordance with the law because the law is very clear that the state central committee has to submit three names to the governor, that we are, we are uh, very transparent, and frankly, I believe that the public has seen, even through the debate and the feedback we've gotten, that it was very uh, enlightening and helpful. So we're moving forward um, and making a positive impact on this process so that we can have a great attorney general to serve um, in perhaps the next few weeks. The uh, state Democratic Party is uh, saying that the, they're seeing the major conflicts of interest, ethical questions surrounding some of the candidates. Do you? Uh, I assume you do not share that view. Well, I mean, just saying that they see something, I'm not sure what it is they're looking at. So that, for, from my point of view, that's just a statement. Mm-hmm. And I tend to focus more on specifics. So if there's something specific, uh, my uh, wonderful counterpart is happy to... I mean, I, I welcome him to submit that to our AG uh, panel so that they can investigate it. And, and we'll be hearing from Mr. DeBacchus later in this program. Um, the, several of the candidates last night were uh, throwing accusations at other candidates along these lines, uh, some conflicts of interest. Does, does that worry you in, in terms of submitting a good three names to the governor? No, because that's the process. I mean, we want to know everything before we take a vote. And and once again, because an accusation is leveled, we have to look at the underlying details to see, okay, is that a conflict that rises to the level that uh, requires us to perhaps look in a different direction? And I think some of the conflicts that have been raised is if a particular candidate has been an attorney for someone that's been prosecuted by the attorney general's office. So does that mean that they cannot serve as attorney general? I mean, we have to look at a, a broader picture here and the role of the attorney general, and uh, can they effectively do the job? So we fully expect the candidates to certainly scrutinize one another, and we certainly expect um, um, Senator DeBacchus to be as forceful as he can in inserting his opinion, and that's all a part of the process. Uh, the spotlight will be shining brightly on the 181 members of the uh, Republican Party State Central Committee. Uh, are these, you say, they're dispersed around the state. What what sorts of people are these? Yeah, the Central Committee, the Utah Republican Party State Central Committee, which is the governing body of the Utah Republican Party, uh, comprises of the chair and vice chair from each of the 29 county Republican parties. Uh, the congressional delegation, so our two U.S. senators and three members of, of Congress that are Republican, and also our statewide office holders that are Republican. And then in addition to those members, we have individuals uh, who were elected from their county party conventions to serve as representatives from that particular county. Hmm. So what you tend to get with this group is a uh, uh, individuals that have been involved in the party for um, a longer period of time, they tend to be more seasoned individuals because they've held, many of them have held elective office before. So, um, you know, they have a much uh, more um, in tune perception and point of view uh, as they're making decisions. I assume you're, you know, you're hearing from party members. Um, what are the concerns that they're telling you that, that that they're looking for in the next attorney general? Well, um, a lot of 
what I think I'm seeing just from the emails is making sure that the attorney general, the next attorney general, can can be effective once the, as soon as they get into office and focus on making sure that the concerns that have been identified in the office are addressed immediately and that there's a longer-term vision and a longer-term strategy uh, in making sure that the office will be um, basically effective and the public can have confidence in the office. Hmm. So the meeting is happening on Saturday where the seven will be uh, called down to three. Those names send on to the governor. Uh, I think it's it's Salt Lake Community College, uh, 10 a.m. Can anyone attend, or is it just party members? No, it's open to the public, and it's the Salt Lake Community College Larry Miller campus down in Sandy. Okay. All right. Yeah. We need, need to make and that. Which is at about 9345 South um, in Sandy, right off of I-15. And I assume you're preparing for a, maybe a larger-than-usual attendance at this kind of meeting. Yes, I think there's they're significant interest, and so we will have the ability for for those who want to um, just attend and watch. They're happy to do. Uh, we're happy to have them, and it should also it will also be live stream as well. And that information will be we'll have that up on our website www.utgop.org. All right, so that'll that'll be up uh, live streaming. We'll see if we can get a link to that as well. Uh, we put a link up last night for people to link over uh, to the debate. Uh, people are very interested in this. Uh, James Evans is uh, Utah Republican Party chairman, and the state central committee for the Republicans on Saturday will be nominating three individuals from among seven candidates and uh, sending those on to Governor Herbert. Uh, last question for you, Chairman uh, Evans. This, uh, I'm curious about the application process. People who wanted to be attorney general sent in an application. How did that happen? Uh, no, they didn't send in an application. All they had to do was just uh, file uh, with the state party that they they declared their candidacy. Okay, okay. That's all they had to do, uh, according to our, our bylaws, is that they just file, declare their candidacy. And then once they declare their candidacy, then we communicated that these are the this is the information that we request that you submit so that that so that that information can be reviewed by the uh a, our attorney panel now a candidate could have chosen not to submit anything then the central committee members would have just factored would just factor that in hmm. so. uh well we appreciate your uh, your time uh, chairman Evans, uh, and and good luck with the whole process well thanks for having me on that's uh, J- James Evans, who is uh, Republican uh, Party chairman for the state of Utah. As I mentioned, the uh, state central committee will be meeting on Saturday, and that's happening uh, in uh, the Salt Lake City area, Salt Lake Community College Larry Miller Conference Center, the, the Larry Miller campus there, 9750 South, 300 West in Sandy. Registrations from 8.30 to 10 in the morning, and uh, call to order is at 10 a.m., the main item of business, of course, is uh, sending three names on to the governor, who will then uh, choose the next attorney general. We're talking about the whole process and uh, asking you what you think uh, you want in the next attorney general, how the process should go. The Democrats, by the way, on their website are opening it up for your suggestions to send in names of who you think should be the next attorney general. We'll talk about that with uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus, Democratic Party chairman, following a break. 
programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering cranberry walnut bread, lemon, and pumpkin tea cakes. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about uh, who should be the next Attorney General. Of course, uh, John Swallow, who was elected uh, last year, has resigned. Um, And the State Central Committee uh, for the Republicans is meeting on Saturday. Uh, The process outlined in law, the party uh, who had the last Attorney General is the one who uh, collects the uh, nominations, narrows those down to three, sends them to Governor Herbert. He then is expected to choose the next Attorney General from this group. And we just talked with State Republican Party Chairman James Evans. Later in the program, we'll be talking with uh, representatives of two advocacy groups. They've sent a letter to Governor Herbert urging him to uh, pick a caretaker uh, who would not run in the next election, which would be uh, next year, and would concentrate on uh, cleaning up the Attorney General's office. We'll be talking with uh, Marianne Martindale with Alliance for Better Utah and David Irvine, Utahns for Ethical Government. Right now we bring in Senator Jim DeBacchus, chairman of the Utah Democratic Party. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so you have up on your website an opportunity for people to uh, send in nominations of their own. What's What's the purpose here? Well, the purpose is to show how bad the system is right now and how badly it's working, where the same people, the same Republican delegates that gave us John Swallow and Mark Shurtleff before him are now given the responsibility to peck the next attorney general over the next year. It just, it is not a very good system. And what we wanted to show is what... um, what we wanted to show is what would happen if the people of Utah were able to actually pick the next interim attorney general and the difference that uh, that there would be. What kind of response are you getting? What what are some names? Can you tell us so that you've been receiving? Well, uh, the former Chief Justice Christine Durham. Uh, interestingly, even on the Democratic website, Senator Lyle Hilliard from Cache County got some, who I think would make a magnificent interim attorney general, great lawyer, understands the process, a man of impeccable reputation. Uh, we also had Peter Caroon, the former mayor of Salt Lake County. Uh, there have been a lot of, of people who are, uh, Judge Raymond Nuno recently retired, uh, circuit court judge, people that are out of the fray. What we're going to end up with after listening to the debate last night between the seven candidates, we're going to end up with the same old thing, the same old characters uh, protecting each other up there on the hill, watching out for the click. It is, it's reprehensible that we're in this position now. Now, if you look at the candidates, uh, you know, it seems like some pretty prominent people that are among the seven, including uh, Michael Wilkins, former Utah Supreme Court Justice. Uh, it, 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 I read a press release from the Democratic Party uh, saying that you see some problems with some of these candidates. What, what specifically are you seeing? Well, um, if you look at some of them have real specific problems with uh, connections to Mr. Swallow. And we see problem number one is 
they are bending into the same small clique of Republican Central Committee members who are going to pick. And uh, that, that is the core of the problem that doesn't just face John Swallow, but faces the whole state, where we have this 27-year stranglehold on power in the state and a lot of people that cover each other's backs. Um, I thought the part that the lieutenant governor's office played, the legislative uh, panel, which now is saying, hey, we don't want to know anything more. Swallow is gone. We want this investigation ended. We want the prosecutor from back east home on the next plane. It's all part of the same old boy network. And I just think that given the sacredness almost of the attorney general's office, it's unfortunate that we're going to end up with one of the old boys back in there, even if it's a girl, uh, and it's just the wrong direction for the state to go. I do think that there are two of the candidates who have said we will see this as a 10-month job. We'll go in. We will uh, not run for reelection, and certainly that's a better plan than having one of those Republicans slide into John Swallow's office and immediately be out campaigning and raising money, presumably from the same people with the same rules that John Swallow and uh, Mark Shirtliff have done that have brought such degradation to the Office of Attorney General. So I, I believe you would like to see a caretaker, someone who would not run next year, be appointed. Well, I don't know if I'd use the word caretaker. I would like to see somebody that goes in there with a lot of fumigation. There's a lot of great attorneys and people of integrity in that attorney general's office, and they have been under a, this terrible cloud during a lot of Mark Shirtliff's time there and all of John Swallow's time. Those professionals need the, to be able to look their boss straight in the eye and uh, recognize that there's integrity there and honesty and that the, the problem has gone all the way to the root. I mean, we need gallons of disinfectant, and somebody who's going to spend the next 10 or 11 months in there cleaning it up, presenting the legislature with serious legislative changes to, to change the cesspool that the attorney general's office has become. And I don't see that coming, frankly, from any of those uh, Republican candidates who are saying that they're going to run again. I mean, it's, it's like we're replacing John Swallow with John Swallow B. So you see, it sounds like you see this as going beyond Mr. Shirtliff, Mr. Swallow, that this is, that the office itself um, has a problem now. No, I think it goes further than that. I mean, you put, you put one political party in the kind of tremendous power that the Republicans have been in for a generation now, 27 straight years, and you end up with the old boy network. You end up with the side deals. You end up with, you take care of me, I'll slap you on the back. And it, it brings its ugly head up again and again and again and again. We need some truly independent thinkers. We need some people, uh, some Democrats in there, keeping an eye on the Republican uh, uh, foxes, and to just running there and put more of the same into the attorney general's office is not going to solve the problem. The root of the problem is whether you're in North Korea or China or Russia, where you have this long one-party rule and nobody dare open their mouth to say, hey, wait a minute, there's problems here. That's where you end up with the problem. So I see John Swallow as simply a symptom 
of too much one-party government. Of course, you could say that the people are to blame. It's free and fair elections. They keep voting for Republicans. Well, that would we hope that people will begin to participate. But I put it again back at the at the feet of the legislature. Remember, when we had redistricting um, two years ago, the Republicans created among the worst redistricting. Uh, jobs in the country. And and that plays very important because just listen to this figure. Utah Democrats received about 39.2% of the votes for the legislature. 39.2%. So you'd expect they're going to get about 40% of the seats. They have 19% of the seats because of the horrible, unfair gerrymandering. And when there's that kind of gerrymandering, People recognize or feel as if their vote doesn't matter, and both Republicans and Democrats don't bother to vote. We've dropped from third in the nation in voting in the early 1980s to 49th now because of this constant gerrymandering. We've got to break through. We need smart, articulate, roll-up-their-sleeves, solve-the-problems kind of Democrats to balance out this this festering kind of termites that have taken over state government because they've been there so long. Frankly, if the Democrats have been there that long and there are states where they have, you run into the same problems. Do you, uh, do you see a need for change in the nomination system uh, to scrap the caucus and convention system? Well, if ever there was an argument to change the caucus system, this is it because it is a it's an ugly process now to go back to 250 Republican power brokers across the state. Uh, some people might say they're the people that created the problem by picking Swallow in the first place and then going back to them for the solution. What do we expect? And some of the things I heard last night in the debate, the they all, all seven of them, have the same opinion about, uh, for example, public lands and on so many issues. They... I didn't hear a lot about talking about how they're going to disinfect things, how they're going to propose legislative changes so this can never happen again. I heard a lot of the same old tired talking points that are going to cost the taxpayers of the state millions and millions of dollars in useless lawsuits. That seems to be a direction that they're all comfortable with. Uh, Final question, uh, Senator DeBacchus. You'll have a uh, election for attorney general sooner than expected. Uh, the opportunity for the Democrats next year? I hope so. I think not just Democrats, but independents and many, many Republicans are going to see through what's gone on and recognize that we need an attorney general that is looking out for the interest of the state and not of a party, not of a clique, not of a group of legislators, not of the governor but somebody who can actually look down the barrel. I mean, none of this investigation happened as a result of the the mechanics of state government. If the governor and the lieutenant governor and the legislature would have had their way, there would have been no investigation. Everything would have been, well, Swallow's a bad guy. He's gone now. Let's just, uh, the band played on. It took a lot of outside groups. It took uh, the Democrats, a lot of independents, and even some Tea Party people, to persuade the legislature that this muck needed to be brought up. I, they're trying now to sweep it under the rug. Even as we speak, uh, we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
and hopefully get a great candidate that can represent all the people of Utah for Attorney General next November's election. Senator Jim DeBacchus, the Utah Democratic Party chairman, has been with us. Thank you so much. Not always a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're talking about next steps in choosing the uh, next attorney general and uh, what remains, what should remain in the investigation into uh, John Swallow and uh, restoring public trust, as some people uh, think is a desperate need in the attorney general's office. We'll talk about this more with uh, representatives from two advocacy groups who recently sent a letter jointly to Governor Herbert urging him to appoint as uh, Attorney General an interim Attorney General as a means of cleaning up that office and restoring public trust. We'll hear about that and what the next steps they think should be uh, in any ongoing investigation. Mr. Swallow, the future of the Attorney General's office. We'll be talking with uh, Marion Martindale from Alliance for Better Utah and David Irvine, Utahns for Ethical Government. You're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page where two people have liked our post. There's the seal of the Office of Attorney General. Uh, Vivia Reyes and uh, Familia Estrada uh, Ariola have uh, liked our uh, our post there. You can comment there, or you can uh, use email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Back after the break. Did you know that sensory motor learning is innate in humans? Teachers who incorporate movement strategies reach a greater percentage of the learners. Did you know that is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services? More at cehs.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about Utah Attorney General, the office, and next steps for cleaning up the office and uh, who will hold that office. The process outlined by law when the Attorney General resigns, the party that held the office then is responsible for uh, sending three names onto the governor. He then is expected to nominate and or appoint an individual from those three. The process is going forward. The Republican State Central Committee will meet on Saturday to nominate those three individuals from among seven Attorney General candidates. And uh, interest is uh, far flung. Chairman Evans, earlier in the program, said they had interest in a debate among those seven candidates last night from 14 additional states beyond Utah. And, of course, this was broadcast around the state of Utah using the UEN network. We had a link to that uh, on our website uh, last night. We'll get a link up to the uh, Saturday um, nominating uh, meeting uh, so you can uh, tune into that. You're welcome to go to that as well if you'd like, if you're closer. That's in Sandy. Uh, Salt Lake Community College, the Larry Miller uh, Campus, 9750 South, 300 West in Sandy. Registration, 830 to 10. Meeting uh, calls to order at 10 a.m. There's interest not only in who is going to fill this office, but uh, what are the next steps in uh, investigation of Mr. Swallow and uh, what the office will look like going forward. And we bring in next Marianne Martindale, Executive Director of Alliance for Better Utah. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, David Irvine joins us as well. He's with Utahns for Ethical Government. Welcome back as well. Thank you. 
Uh, so let me start with you, Marion Martindale. The, the, your two organizations joined together, I believe, to send a letter to uh, Governor Herbert. Uh, what are you urging him to do? We uh, we did. We, we joined Alliance for a Better Utah. My organization joined with Utahns for Ethical Government. Uh, and we decided to join because we feel like at the very core of this is it's an ethical discussion. Um, what we've seen has been a, a complete breach in ethics, and that's resulted in um, the loss of the public trust in, in this crucial state statewide office. So we signed a letter uh, jointly to ask the governor to look for an interim attorney general. And I know that we've used the you know we hear the word caretaker bandied around. I actually don't don't like the word caretaker. I think it's it it connotes a, a, a somewhat passive role. And I think what we need is someone who is 100% fully committed to being an attorney general until this next election, not looking not looking to, for re-election. And so our request was that he specifically look for someone who is beyond reproach, ethically, morally, legally, and who also is not looking to to be be also be split his time trying to run a race. Elections in this state, well, elections everywhere happen almost the second you take you you uh, take the oath of office. You know, re-election is, is, is a crucial thing, and you have to begin fundraising. You have to reach out to people. You have to do all the meet and greets. And we feel like what's going on in the attorney general's office is so important to this state that it needs someone who will devote 100% of their time with, without regard for what's going on in the political sphere to actually doing the job that needs to be done, to cleaning up the office, to restoring integrity and the public trust of the office. And and if, there, if you're campaigning at the same time, we feel like not only – does that, does that lend itself to concerns over the same exact things that we've been seeing going on? But it just it's a, it's a distraction, and we think that we need someone who's focused 100 uh, percent. David Irvine, two of the candidates last night uh, seem to agree with uh, Ms. Martindale. Michael Wilkins, former Utah Supreme Court justice, he's committed not to run for election if he's picked. I believe Brian Tarbett, who's the acting attorney general, agreed with that. Uh, would you be looking for one of those gentlemen to be picked? have the legal qualifications to do a uh, superb job as attorney general and uh, we're impressed that any of those individuals last night would make a commitment not to run for election in 2014. Uh, Marianne expressed the concerns about simultaneously being a candidate very very well and I won't add to that but we believe fundamentally and at the core that it's critical to rehabilitating the morale of the office that the uh, interim attorney general not be a candidate for political office so that he or she can focus full-time on being the state's top lawyer. Uh, Several of the candidates, I think the rest of them, um, said that the, the problem you would have with an interim is that you'd have just too much turnover. That would hit morale. Well, I think that's a little bit of a self-serving argument. Uh, the office uh, has had uh, experienced people in the past. That experience is going to provide a great degree of continuity that's necessary and appropriate. But I think it's more important that the next several months be devoted full-time to whoever is in that position to distancing the perceptions of the office in the past from the way it's going to function going forward. And uh, I don't see that uh, uh, having someone serve in that position for a year and then 
making way for a person elected to the position is going to be a problem at all. Uh, Marion Martindale, um, you may have heard uh, Chairman DeVacus say that he, he, su- he suspects that the investigative committee in the House is just wanting to close up shop. Uh, is, is that your perception? Yeah, but it's also it's also important to understand that the ramifications of that committee, while it's extremely important to find out the results of what they have investigated so far, there is only so much that they can do. I mean, as a result of his resignation, their their course of action is, is sort of ended. And so I you know, I understand their concern over that. It's a great deal of money. Um I, I don't I don't personally put a price tag on the public trust, but I do understand where they're coming from with that. So I don't wanna I don't want to necessarily negate that decision because I think that there's probably some wisdom in at least bringing some closure to that. What I do want to see, however, is I want to see all of those documents, um, you know, completed and brought to conclusion and then turned over to the district attorney of both Salt Lake County and Davis County, Troy Rollins and Tim Gill, who we know are further investigating a lot of these allegations and a lot of the allegations from that came out of the lieutenant governor's investigation as well. There is uh, there there appear to be several areas in criminal code that could be applied to the actions that that uh, were alleged in in both of those complaints. So I think you know I, I understand why they're doing that at a, at a, to a certain degree. I and mean, we also have the legislative session around the corner, and it's going to be extremely time consuming. So to be devoting this to try to do an investigation that ultimately would only lead to his removal from office when he's already out of office, it, it's hard to argue against that. I, I think. Um, it's always frustrating not to get to the end of an investigation because I think everybody, the public included, you know, really wants to know at the end of the day what what's the truth, what what did he do, what didn't he do. He's of course, you know, standing on this this position of of innocence. When we know pretty clearly from the lieutenant governor's office, they they found five counts of election law violation that they felt he had violated, and they recommended moving forward with. Uh, removal from office and, and civil court proceedings. His resignation, you know, negates a lot of that work. But uh, it, it's important to get to the end of these. It's important for the public to know, really, what's going on. But I, if I can just comment on, on the question that you asked, David, you know, one of the things that the, the candidates last night that were running did, did keep saying is, well, we were worried about continuity in this break. First of all, I think it's important to understand the context of how the Attorney General's office is organized. It's, it's a series of divisions that have division heads. Those division heads aren't leaving. There's still a very, a very strong uh, continuity that's going, to, that's going to maintain, regardless of who is actually holding the position of attorney general. What this person will be able to do is to go in and start reviewing policies and procedures and enact uh, rules and regulations that keep this type of behavior from happening, uh, that, that don't allow attorneys to have outside employment while they're full-time employees of the attorney general's office. That, that make limits on, on the finances or the campaign donations that they take as a result of that or other outside influences. So I think the continuity argument is extremely self-serving from anyone who's actually running for office. And I don't think it really has a lot of basis in the fact of the day-to-day operations of the Attorney General's office. Uh, David Irvine, I, I wonder um, if you could comment on, on something. Uh, Senator DeBacchus was saying that he he sees this going beyond uh, you know just a couple of attorney generals he sees a systemic problem and he pointed to the the ways that people are elected and a a long-term good old boy network well I didn't hear all of his comments but I think there is a systemic issue and that's one of the things that I believe the house investigation uh, serves a useful purpose by continuing to an appropriate point. 
the fundamental problem and the systemic problem is that there are no limitations on campaign contributions in Utah. It is a wide open state. The money that sluices through the political system in Utah is completely unregulated. Uh, it is supposed to be reported, but there evidently are ways around that. And one of the things that would be extremely beneficial to the citizens of the state from the House investigation would be for recommendations for genuine reform of the campaign finance process to come out of this unhappy episode of the last couple of years. If, if the legislature will propose substantive and meaningful campaign finance reform, we will have turned a significant corner in making sure that the kinds of temptations that evidently led Mr. Swallow into difficulty will not exist for future candidates for that office or any other state position. That's a big deal. Marion Martindale, I wanted to follow up with, with something you said. Um, rules, procedures, policies in the in the AG's office, uh, is that going to do it, or do we need to go beyond that to, to law? Well, I, I think that's only within the Attorney General's office. So I think that's I think that would be the role of the Attorney General. You know, the Attorney General is no legislator, so they don't obviously make laws. But we also need the legislature to be looking at this. We need meaningful ethics legislation. We talk about this year after year, session after session, and we get little tiny movements in that direction. And it, and it has they're essentially toothless laws. We need to look at election law code and and see if that needs to be refined. It's comprehensive to say the least. It's hard to follow. It's it's kind of a backwards forwards. Thing. You know, this is years and years and years of, of additional code being added. I think it needs to be cleaned up. I think it needs to be brought into what, you know, current technology and, and modern modern ways of doing things. Um, but then we also need campaign finance limits. You know, we with their, our legislators are loath to put any type of limitations on what they do. And I've sat through far too many committee hearings where people, you know, feign this indignation over being questioned over taking $10,000 donations, $15,000, $20,000 donations. And we don't have any limits to that. And, yeah, it has to be reported, but we still don't have any limits. And it has to be reported typically far, you know, months after the fact. And so even, you know, and it's, and it's complicated for people to even look that up. So as a constituent, it's very difficult and time-consuming for me to even understand who it is that's making these huge donations to my elected official. And it's just, you know, what, what are you buying for $10,000, $15,000, $20,000, $100,000? Some of these donations have reached obscene levels. And, uh, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's ridiculous of them to expect that there's not a, some type of a return on investment expected for an investment of that amount. Mm. It's, uh, when you talk to legislators about this, they, they take umbrage. They say, uh, how dare you imply that I, you know, that, that I might be influenced in this way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually have had these conversations with both uh, the two former attorney generals as well. And so, I mean, I think that's just a perfect example of this. You know, we're, I'm, I'm better than you. I have this, this different view of, my, of my, my role. And, you know, how dare you question me? And, and I think that, you know, the public's getting really sick of that. It's, it's, not, it's not that we don't trust them, but why do we not have rules in place to ensure that those people who aren't trustworthy, a lot of those people out there are great people. I work with those legislators all the time, and there's some really good people, even if we disagree on ideology or on policy or principle, but they're really honest people, and I think that they do it for the right reasons, but there's those few that do not, 
and we're witnessing a result of what happens when, when there are no rules around that. You know, what if John Swallow couldn't have taken some of these obscenely high donations from people? Would he have maybe not gotten into the same position? I don't know. It's hard to say, but it certainly would have been better. And, and without, there's, there's no reason in this state why we have to have legislators accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations when they're essentially waltzing back into office. We don't really have a very aggressive campaign. You know, if you're a Republican in a Republican district, you don't have much of a campaign to really run. Mm-hmm. But yet they're still raising money year-round, even when it's not an election year, tens of thousands of dollars from people. And you look at some of these amounts, and it's it's absurd. I want to know what it is that that person is getting for a check of that amount. Mm-hmm. David Irvine, I think some of this is perception, isn't it? I, I have friends who tell me, oh, they're all crooks, uh, referring to all politicians. And, and I push back. I tell them, no, I, you know, you, <laughs> a lot of these people are, are good and they go into it for the right reason, but the perception is, is bad and it seems to be eroding. Well, there are a lot of good people in uh, political positions, and we need good people in those offices. The rules and the regulations that Marianne has referred to are tremendously important because they are the way the process keeps honest people honest. And perception is a very significant issue. Perception is reality, as an old political adage goes. So the fact that so many people are so untrusting of politicians and the political process is really a product of this attitude that uh, we've been talking about. Uh, How dare you question my integrity by assuming that I could be influenced by a donation of $100,000 to my campaign. And and that's a big problem. Perception becomes reality. Uh, uh, Are you hopeful that um, this publicity, admittedly bad publicity, will light a a bigger fire under some of the measures that you'd like to see passed? If it does not, if things continue as they are, then the unhappy episodes of the Swallow administration and that whole fundraising imbroglio that he was involved in will repeat itself at some point in the future. Hmm. You're saying that's inevitable? Absolutely. Yeah. Marion Martindale, I wonder... uh, as this investigation continues, uh, sort of on the local level, into Mr. Swallow, what what are the biggest questions you're hoping that we get some closure on? Well, I think in terms of John Swallow, we you know we really need to uh, we need to see what happens with the county district attorneys because we have been advised by some of our our attorneys and people that we've discussed that there are some criminal code sections that could be applied to this behavior. I think it's important for there to be repercussions to the behaviors. You know, just because he resigned doesn't mean that it makes it all go away. It's like, you know, it's like stealing something and saying, well, you know, I didn't mean to, or here, I brought it back, saying, well, let's just, you know, forgive and forget. There's still repercussions for your behavior. You have to, you know, as as an adult, he takes on these responsibilities, and if he's broken laws, then he needs to be held accountable, whether he's holding that position or not. Um, So I think, you know, I think the public needs to see that. I think other elected officials need to see that. I think they need to see that you know what, you don't get to just say, gee, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, or even, you know, as Swallow is saying, he's not even thinking he ever did anything wrong. Um, you know, we need to see this, this through. But it would, be, it would be a really unfortunate thing if we got down the road here and we, we didn't change anything. 
if there were no no new laws uh, that the legislature passed this next session that related specifically to this type of behavior, if the attorney general's office is taken over just by another another uh, politico who um, keeps the office politicized and immediately is starting to fundraise and doesn't really change anything, there, there's you know as David said, perception is reality, and that perception is not going to change if nothing changes. We'll leave it there. We're out of time. We've been talking with Marion Martindale with Alliance for Better Utah and David Irvine with Utahns for Ethical Government. They joined forces, sent a letter to uh, Governor Herbert asking him to uh, to uh, pick uh, someone who would be an interim attorney general and to concentrate not on getting reelected um, or elected, but on uh, cleaning up the office. And uh, thank you to both of you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and David Irvine, I neglect to uh, to <laughs> mention you. David Irvine, Utahns for Ethical Government. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, you can continue uh, commenting on this issue on our website, upr.org, and on our Facebook page at Utah Public Radio. Uh, we hope that you will join us tomorrow for a science topic, Science Questions with Sherry Quinn. And a special holiday program, the Zesty Garden Holiday Program, is coming up next. For uh, producers Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today. Utah Public Radio presents StoryCorps, an oral history project in conjunction with the National Library of Congress, recorded in May of 2013 in St. George. Former Zion National Park Ranger Greer Cheshire talks with fellow ranger Barb Graves. Cheshire recalls her experience surviving a flash flood in the Zion Narrows. We hiked from Russell Gulch down into, there were about six of us park rangers all women except one. And that's another thing, you know, we were rangers when women weren't rangers either. That's kind Mm -hmm. of another aspect of that. But we hiked in there. We had a lot of rappelling to do. And um, the the weather report was fine. We were on a rappel. I was the first one over and it was maybe 20 feet or something like that. And so I took off my pack and I set it down on the canyon floor and the canyon's only about 10 feet wide. You could you know, touch wall to wall, but about 1,500 feet deep, just these straight canyon walls, like you're in a room, you know, mm. that's a hallway, you know, yeah. <laughs> a really deep hallway. So I was on this rappel, I get down, I take off my pack, and um, I look up the rope at the next person who's coming down, and my eyes just kept coursing up along the canyon walls until I saw the sky, which was as black as night. And I just went, <laughs> and I ran. I turned around and ran. I put my pack back on and ran down Canyon because I knew we had to find a place out of there, mm-hmm. a way out. You know, it's, I, I feel like I abandoned everyone on the rappel, but I thought they can get down the rappel. I have to find a place to yeah. stay where we can fit all of us. Right. So I ran down Canyon about, I don't know, 100 feet or a little more maybe. And, um, came to a pour-off, another waterfall. There was no water in the creek at that time, so Mm -hmm. we call them pour-offs when they're dry. But I came to this pour-off that was like another rappel, and I was like, I can't go any farther down canyon. We're stuck here. And on this side of me, the canyon was just like this wall, just straight up 1,500 feet. And I looked the other way, and there was a rock fall going up the, you know, that had broken the canyon Mm -hmm. wall. So I ran up that 
rockfall. And as I was going up, it just, the heavens unleashed, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. sky opened and the ocean came down. I mean, it was pelting hard, pouring rain. I almost couldn't make it up the rockfall because it became so slippery with water. And then I looked down and I saw the next person come up and look over the pour off. I called out to them, you know, up here. And that person came up and then we eventually got all six of us up on this tiny ledge that was about, I don't know, a foot wide. Then we actually got separated because the other ranger and I went forward to see if we could get out of the canyon, which we couldn't. And we got separated because of from the other four because a waterfall came over the lip of the canyon right Mm -hmm. at that point between us. Uh So we spent the night a little bit down canyon. They spent the night up there on that ledge, and uh, it was a miserable night. No doubt. I thought I was going (laughs) to die. The biggest flood I've ever seen came through that canyon, and uh, there was stuff coming down off the walls, you know, rocks and trees breaking off and falling next to us, these big rocks just Fudding into the ground. And that's, that's yeah, when the water story. came over that pour off that I had stopped at, which was, you know, 15 feet or so, it just went straight out. It didn't just dribble over the falls, it just shot, shot straight out. out. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. impressive and it made me realize nobody would have survived mm-hmm. if we hadn't gotten up on that. Yeah. We happened to be just in the one place in the canyon that you could get out. These interviews were recorded at StoryCorps, a national initiative to record and collect stories of everyday people. Excerpts were selected and produced by Utah Public Radio. Support for StoryCorps on Utah Public Radio comes from Dixie Regional Medical Center, located on two campuses in St. George, serving northwestern Arizona, southeastern Nevada, and southern Utah. Information at dixieregional.org. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD 1, 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD 1, 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD 1, 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD 1, 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD 1, 91.5 Logan.